Well, time to talk, as we often do, about the intersection between sport and law with uh, Tim Fuller of Gaydon's Lawyers. And reading between the lines, Paul, on what uh, Tim has sent through to us, an Alex Demanure fan is Tim Fuller and uh, still <laughs> devastated by the loss, Tim. I'm still in mourning, Andrew. <laughs> um, hey, Andrew. Yeah. Um, you blokes have been talking about the weather all yeah, morning and yeah. probably a little, bit, a little bit complaining even. Yeah. And I'm off to um, northern Norway to see my wife's family for Christmas. Northern and, uh, Norway? You're up at the lights there or something, are you? Uh, very, very close. She yeah. Was born up, she was born uh, literally at the North Pole in a mining settlement, but uh, minus 10 on a good day. Yes. And uh, on Christmas Day, they have this wonderful tradition where you go out and visit um, <laughs> your deceased family's uh, gravestones. Yeah. And one year, it was minus 25, <laughs> and my father-in-law, he had a pick, he had a hammer, he had a shovel, and he's chipping away at this, uh, at this ice yeah. to get to his, um, his mother's um, you know, headstone. And after half an hour, we're sitting there drinking snaps and you know, whiskey and <laughs> illegal, illegal Russian stuff, whatever it was. Yeah. Um, my father-in-law turned to us in, and in his broken English said, whoops. Wrong one. Have <laughs> 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 to start again. <laughs> Jeez, that's a uh, that's a chirpy sort of Christmas custom, isn't it? Oh, to go off and visit but, headstones. I know. At first, I thought, "What's doing?" But um, <laughs> anyway, as it turned out, it's not too bad when you stand there, um, you know, drinking away. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Northern Norway. That's. Uh, have you been to see the uh, Northern Lights? Yeah. Well, actually, um, the funny thing is, you don't have to go anywhere. We just walk out. Oh, backyard okay. and and there they are. They're on just about every night. So yeah, pretty pretty spectacular um, at that time of year. Aren't you originally from the Gold Coast, Tim? Man, I'm a chinchilla boy. So chinchilla, Queensland. Yeah. So yeah, is that, a, that, a, a bit a of a difference <laughs> from uh, yeah, the North Pole to Chinchilla. Yeah, yeah. I don't, you don't see too many northern lights out there unless you <laughs> probably spent four hours at the at the club hotel. <laughs> I tell you what, if your uh, parents-in-law ever come over for a chinchilla Christmas, that'd be a bit different for them. Well, they do actually, and uh, you know, um, nice and uh, they're, they're they're naturalised Australians almost, so they love it. They okay. Love it yeah. <laughs> Wow, that's incredible. Uh, oh, well, I suppose you, you thought about that as you were watching uh, poor old uh, the Demon Demon or two sets up and uh, and oh. lose. Oh, I thought, it was, oh, what a missed opportunity. I'm loving yeah. it. Yeah, it's just, um, it's just sad to see the way. Like, I mean, everyone's obviously switching over and flicking over and things like that to the Knicks game, but oh, I just thought he such a golden opportunity. But anyway, he'll, he'll be back. Yeah, I think he will. And, uh, well, whilst we're at uh, Wimbledon and Tim, a big hoo-ha before the event started about the banning of the uh, Russian and uh, players from Belarus. Um, uh, what do you think the wash-up of that has been over there? Yeah, well, I, was, I was looking at this, Andrew, and, like, comparing it to, like, say, for example, you know, the rules around banning unvaccinated players. Now, um, I don't know if it's been confirmed or not, but uh, Novak is still likely to be banned from playing the US Open, mm. I think. Yeah, that's right. Um so, therefore, what, what would happen if, um, say, Australia follows suit from the All England Club and, you know, puts rules in place to ban Russian and Belarusian players? And, um, you know, I had a look at it. I think it's, it's, I, I don't think they're going to be able to do it. Like in mm. Australia, I don't know if our country would do that. I think, you know, we, would, we, would, we understand that, you know, the individuals obviously have no, um, you know, involvement in decisions that are made by their country, like to go to war. But uh, I think um, it's been proved to be legal in England. It would be probably a different case here in Australia and particularly Victoria. 
It's an interesting point, isn't it? Poor old Craig Tiley. I think he's just recovered from all the Novak oh. drama with the vaccination. If they now start saying they'll ban Russian and Belarusian uh, athletes, um, I think he'll sort of go and hide under the bed. Uh, yeah, imagine that, that land on his plate exactly oh. like, you know, like, cause it, because obviously it would come from, you know, um, you know, the political influence if there was to be, you know, an attempt to try and, um, you know, bring the politics into the sport. Mm. But you're absolutely right. It'd be just, uh, just be a um, very difficult situation. Mm. Uh, as far as I know, they're allowed to play, though, the US Open. There's been no no decision handed down on that one, Tim. So that might be a flow-on effect to the Australian Open. Now, while we're talking tennis, uh, Wimbledon, the uh, the strict dress code there uh, of the all-white, we saw Nick walk on the other day, <laughs> with these uh, uh, Air Jordans on that were red and white, and he also did a press conference there on centre court in a red cap. That seems to have caused uh, uh, some grief for Nick there over there at the All England Club. It's incredible, isn't it, Paul? I mean, like, I mean, we love tradition. You know, we love the tradition of Wimbledon. Um, but, you know, over the years, there have been various players who have pushed the envelope, if you like, in relation to the dress code. And this year, you know, really the, the cat's out of the bag. Like, um, and, and, and Nick's not finished, of course. I mean, <laughs> who mm. knows what's going to happen at the next uh, you know, his, his match tonight and you know, at, at following press conferences. But I just found it interesting, you know, fascinating even, that um, the dress code applies to everybody that participates in Wimbledon, including the spectators. There's very, very strong rules around uh, the dress code. I mean, obviously with players... Um, it's predominantly all white. You're allowed, you know, for example, trims on your shoes, but you can't show, for example, sponsors, logos, etc. You know, there's, there's trims on, you know, for example, dresses and, you know, T-shirts and so forth. But a lot of these, um, well, it's not an all white um, code that applies to spectators. There, there is a sense of decorum and a sense of, um, you know, place at Wimbledon for everybody that attends. And, uh, you know, Nick has, is really, really, you know, obviously pushing the envelope with things like wearing, um, you know, his Jordans, red Jordans, into press conferences, you know, clearly in violation of the rules. And uh, the spectator rules, are they in, in relation to ambush market? I mean, obviously we see uh, very strict rules surrounding anything about the Olympics and uh, marketing that's outside uh, the sponsors of the Olympics. So is that the rule for the spectators again? Yeah, it is, Andrew, and it's fascinating because, like, the, the airbush marketing or, you know, what some people might call guerrilla marketing or, you know, kind of coattail marketing where you, you hit your wagon to, you know, to a sponsor and try to sort of, like, leverage off, you know, their, the money that they're paying in the sponsorship, it only applies to the Olympics, um, to World Rugby, so to the World Rugby mm. World Cup. Um, you know, it's obviously FIFA and Soccer World Cup, but apart from that, Wimbledon is probably the only major event where they have specific rules in relation to ambush marketing, obviously for players, but also for spectators. I mean, we don't see that, for example, at the US Open. Imagine trying to implement a dress code at the, U- <laughs> at the US Open, like, you know, or, or at a state of origin match, like, you know, it'd be not impossible, or maybe a Collingwood match is a better, a better example. <laughs> but but um, it's just incredible that Wimbledon have, you know, specific rules in relation to ambush marketing. So they are, you know, checking what, you know, for example... Um, spectators is wearing as much as as much as the players. Can you give us an example, Tim, of what ambush marketing would be? What would be on, on a t-shirt or, or a cap or something? What would what would what would break that rule? So, you know, a classic example, like say for example, a, 
the Telstra Cup in the NRL. I mean, if you if you rocked up, you know, to say there were rules in place at the NRL, wearing like say an Optus T-shirt, you know, that's clearly in violation of the naming rights sponsor or the you know, the competition sponsor. Why they, the way they get around it though, Paul, is is you know sort of you know very very you know creative. So for example, if there's a colour that's associated with the major sponsor, say it's Coke and it's red and white. Okay, and you turn up in sort of blue, you know, black, red and white, you know, the, the colours are Pepsi. The association with those colours, mm. you know, creates the effect that like, ah, oh, we've got some Pepsi supporters here. And that's what that's what's happened in the past where there's been, for example, orange T shirts worn that represents, for example, a beer label. Now they're they're sort of really obvious ones where it draws attention to, you know, people in the crowd. But there's been other, you know, fantastic ambush marking campaigns where Dr. Dre um, the rapper and the London Olympics was a, was a beauty because all he did was made his um, his famous Beats uh, sort of like you know headset available to the athletes for free so they could come to a certain place pick up those headsets wear them for free and that's what all the athletes did so Michael Phelps and all the great athletes at the London Games were walking in wearing Dr Dre's Beats you know he got enormous publicity no official um, <clears throat> sponsorship of the London Olympics for Dr Dre. Wow, who would have thought the London Olympics and Dr. Dre would be uh, two sort of phrases we'd put together? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. It's incredible, isn't it? Interestingly, on their dress code for Wimbledon, just before we move on to something else, I see the French player, Christina Mladenovic. Uh, she wore all white, but very little of it. She had sort of a crop top and a, a very skimpy skirt, and the uh, Wimbledon boys allowed that through, but... Um, not so happy with the Air Jordans. Um, Tim, concussion had sort of been uh, part of the uh, lexicon in sport for some time now, um, and it's only going to continue, I expect. Um, mm-hmm. Some further studies coming out of the States and uh, particularly centering on the knowledge of coaches and their responsibility with respect to concussion. Yeah, this, this is an interesting one, Andrew, because you know, we've always had a focus on like you know what a game should do, you know what responsibility there are with trainers and you know, doctors, independent doctors, club doctors, that's been the big focus. But there's been a case out of the States where there's been action taken against a coach in relation to training methods. Mm. Um, and the suggestion out of this particular case is that coaches are going to need <clears throat> to play more of a role in relation to concussion, not just handball it off to, you know, like the, um, <clears throat> the support staff. Yeah. And the study that accompanied uh, this particular case was how little knowledge coaches have in relation to, um, you know, concussion episodes. Um, I think the study um, had figures of around only 6% have, you know, sufficient knowledge and, um, you know, there's obviously a need for coaches to really arm themselves up up in this area because they won't be able to dodge responsibility, um, it's suggested, in the, in the future. Mm. And can that then get flow onto other sports then, Tim? Oh, absolutely, Paul. I mean, like, you've only got to... This study was basically all contact and combat sports. You know, a lot of our combat sports, you know, not even, you know, regulated. Um, you know, they're, 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 they're kind of a free-for-all hybrid sports pop up all the time, mixed between, you know, this and that. But, you know, ultimately, our contact sports are highly regulated with lots and lots of rules and protocols in place. I think, you know, the governing bodies should take heed of this particular decision. And I think, you know, coaching education... I mean, there's a lot of great coaches in a lot a lot about concussion but um, obviously not everybody's at the same level and so it must be part of um, you know any future activity in relation to the, the governing bodies and helping their coaches.
And uh, one issue that I think we're going to be reading about uh, in the months to come and perhaps even the years to come, uh, Channel 7 uh, going at uh, Cricket Australia seeking a declaration that they've uh, breached the broadcast contract allowing 7 to terminate it and seek damages. That uh, will be a lot of money drained out of Cricket Australia's coffers that they probably can't afford even just defending the action, let alone where no. it's to lose. No, it's, it's a massive amount, isn't it? I think the claim's well over... 300 million I, I think it was reported but um you know we, when we look at like some of our sports you know in the shape they're in like you know netball's in a yeah you know precarious uh, situation i mean this is something that like you know sports obviously can't afford so um it just shows you the importance that comes with broadcasting deals they can't be rushed you know they've got to be rough for the right amount obviously and they've they've got over the right partner so you know yeah. there's all sorts of bidding at the moment um you know it's a, that's a big area now, their, uh, their, their case here, though, they're saying is they haven't been provided what they were promised. The uh, the standard of the cricket is below what they thought they were going to get. Now, mm. they're happy with what was put on for the test cricket, but it's the big bash. But how do you prove the players there are not a standard that they thought they were going to get? Gee, that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, obviously, in all sorts of contracts, there's, you know, there's KPIs and, you know, various... Um targets that might have to be reached that are set out explicitly um how that's a that's a that's a very very subjective you know question i mean how do you judge the quality of you know player performance everybody can have a bad day can't they mm. um they're going to extract you know for example a, a bad game and um you know use that as as part of their their claim i mean i'm not really sure about that um Gee, I'll tell you what, though, if, if they got up with that, there'd be plenty of spectators, uh, you know, lining up to take action against uh, sports for, 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 for bad games. <laughs> well, you, yeah, I was about to say, go, poor well, old North Melbourne might find oh, some uh, uh, fans coming at them. So, all, they saying, all those season ticket holders, yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> yeah, so they're saying is, it's, it, their complaint is, we were promised a competition that was going to be X, and we're not getting that. The, the standard is not what we had thought it would be, or it has declined from seasons past. I think that, that yeah. is their argument, and it's based around the BBL. And uh, I think the bits and pieces of the statement of claim I've seen or seen reported, they have pinpointed particular players saying these players are playing and they are not of the standard of those in previous years. I mean, it sounds crazy, but it'll all come down to what that specific provision in the contract says. Um, and that's uh, that's something it's often hard to explain to lay people, no matter how what much you think, geez, that sounds a bit stiff, it'll depend what's in the contract. And if they can prove that they didn't get what they bargained for, they might get up as unpalatable as that sounds. Yeah, and I think that's so true, Andrew. It's, it's difficult because, like, you know, you, you might, for example, having a contract where there's a clause that requires them to play, for example, you know, contracted players in the top 25, you know, mm. whatever it might be. But, you know, what happens when a club is, a team is decimated by injuries and they have to call up yeah. players that aren't contracted? I mean, like, you know, obviously those players are not within that particular category that's set out in the contract. So, yeah, that's going to be that's going to be difficult. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll watch that space for sure. Oh, we had players in and out of teams because of hubs and, and COVID yep. as well. So uh, fascinating stuff ahead. Tim, always yeah. a pleasure. Appreciate your time this morning. We'll catch up again soon. No doubt Thanks, we'll in the next 10 days or something will break that will require your, uh, your assessment. No worries. Have a good day. See you guys.